Hello and thank you for listening to It's Cyber Up North with me, Phil Jackman. And me, Andrew Pounder. Hi Andrew, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm fine, thanks. Good, this is your second one, I think, of the It's Cyber Up North, or Icon as we call them in the trend. Let's hope I know as much about this as I did about the last one. (laughs) Yes, yeah, I hope so. Well, we're joined with this podcast by Ian Todd, who's the Chief Executive Officer and Co-Founder of SalesLink. Hi Ian, how are you doing? Very well, yeah, very well. Thanks, guys. Uh, you know, excited to be here as well. Excellent, excellent. Well, let's start with tell us a bit about SalesLink or your background, how you got there, and, and the product you're just about to launch. I think. Beautiful, yeah. So, um, you know, I've been in cybersecurity now for about twelve years uh, in in a variety of different roles: um, delivery, consulting, sales, building out different teams. And one of the big things I've kind of noticed is, you know, there's, there's huge challenges for cybersecurity vendors right now, trying to hit targets uh, and increase revenue. So we've built a, a sales tool that's built for the cybersecurity industry. And the idea is it allows salespeople to sell their product service um, easier by having the right data and information, threat intelligence and all this good stuff about the person and the company that they're trying to sell to. Lots of really good information there to, to help them. But also, you know, a, a big problem I always had was as a buyer, there's nothing worse than someone trying to sell to you and they've got no idea about you or your business or your problems. So we wanted to try and help both sides of the cybersecurity world. Um, and that's what SalesLink hopefully will be. And to your point, Phil, it's, um, it's going live uh, this month and we've got lots of interested trialists and, and companies. So it's, uh, it's a really exciting time. We'll see what happens over the next few weeks. Excellent, excellent. Well, good luck with that. And uh, But we're here today to talk about a, one of those really interesting issues, a kind of background uh, cybersecurity threat, I think, that kind of hidden threat, and that's the Internet of Things. You've got some history in IoT, Ian? Yeah, I do, I do Phil. So my, my background was um, I spent three years uh, leading one of BlackBerry's uh, IoT businesses based in, in North America and the UK. And I, I talk about BlackBerry and everyone says, oh, the mobile phones and whatever happened to them. But actually, they had a really, really... Um, smart set of people that obviously originally built very, very secure uh, phones. And that's why you would see the likes of presidents and prime ministers walking around with the BlackBerry. It was fundamentally because the data was very, very secure. And we took that learning and that experience to, to try and help embedded systems and IoT devices become more secure. So that was a large part of what I did for the last kind of three or four years. Okay, excellent. And Andrew, have you had much experience in the IoT field? Yes, going all the way back to 1995 when I worked for UniPam, Unipam Pipex uh, down in Cambridge. And one of my responsibilities, one of the engineers, was to assign Class C addresses or IP addresses to businesses for the public internet. And the European Registry realised we were running out of IP addresses and brought on by uh, IoT, smartphones starting to come on, uh, IP phones, and realised there weren't enough public IP addresses to go around. So that's why they introduced IP version 6. So I've seen that from a long time where I used to be able to assign a Class C address, a whole 255 uh, block. Uh, and now, um, lucky if you get one, one public IP address and everything is knotted behind a firewall or something else. Uh, so things have changed. And the, the worry that was there in the 90s that we're going to run out of space to be able to communicate with all these devices on the internet we found a solution or many solutions and here we are with millions and billions of devices that uh, we're in trouble with now 
Indeed. So you can tell your grandkids. I remember when this was all IP five and, and that kind of thing. Ninety four. Uh, you said something in there. Absolutely. And uh, but you're absolutely right. Because my understanding is that uh, there are now more IoT connected devices than there are traditional connected devices. So that that path is crossed. But uh, we all talk about Internet of Things and IoT, like as if we know what we're talking about. Ian, what is the Internet of Things? Well, this is it, isn't it? Though I mean, it's it's such a broad term and i think you know we think about it, it for me it encompasses all the kind of peripheral devices that in some way connect to a network and that can be really rudimentary sensors that have got a network connection all the way through to you know the smart fridges and kettles we've seen um right through to vehicles on the road and i think we can probably say that they're an iot device now with embedded systems in them they're essentially laptops on wheels so there's lots of um, I think it, it is a very broad term. And to your point, it's growing at an incredible rate. Um, and and you know, we've seen this with smart buildings. You know, you look at some of the buildings, there's a building actually in, in the middle of Toronto right now that's just been finished built. And the amount of IoT devices that are in that building is phenomenal. You know, from little things like sensors in rooms to, to look at the heating, to look at the way the, the light comes through the windows, all these different things. It's just an absolute labyrinth of different IoT devices. So we are seeing this incredible um, it's an incredible growth rate. But do, would you, as a layperson, would you really know these things exist in your, in your, within your building? Are they kind of just hidden away? And yeah. Well, this is the problem, isn't it? And I'm sure we'll touch on this, Phil, but even non-lay people, you know, the people who are actually involved in, um, in cyber on a day-to-day -day basis probably aren't fully aware of all the problems that these different areas have. And you know, I can give you an example. Um, this smart building was really well put together. And obviously everyone had done different privacy impact assessments and risk impact assessments, all these different things. One of the interesting things that they didn't think about was there was a sound detector in the meeting rooms. And the concept was, if there's no sound five minutes after a meeting starts, we can assume the meeting room is empty and we'll re-release it back to the system. What they didn't expect was that people would be able to break into these sound um, detectors quite easily and just listen to meetings. So you've got them in the boardroom and all these different rooms, all of a sudden you think, well, this is a, a huge problem. So there are the, the more devices they are, the more issues they are. But back to your question, yeah, I think in, in normal everyday life, I don't think people fully realize all the different devices that are now in some form or other a security issue just for you in your family day. Yeah, Andrew. Yeah, I was going to say that um, if you take Bluetooth into account, uh, then it really widens the scope. So it isn't just an internet of things. Once you've got a Bluetooth device, like a smart speaker, wearables, you know, for, for running apps, anything that connects to your smartphone. So your smartphone is basically acting as an IoT hub. Yeah. Uh, and you've got all these other devices and you know you can go on your neighbor's tele television and connect to them and, and stream uh, via Chromecast and things like that. So, you know, it, it's it's very pervasive now with, with Bluetooth yeah. available. Of course, not that we would do that, Andrew, if we were to be upright. But we talk about IoT like as if it's a new thing, but Andrew, you're saying it would have been around since the turn of the millennium. You know, it's, it's, mm -hmm. quite a, it's quite a thing. So where are we with it in terms of its maturity? Um, you know, is it a, a grown-up product now, or do we, are we kind of have a mix of uh, stuff lying about? Ian, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, the maturity is, I think it depends on the sector, um, Phil, to be honest, but I, I've seen real contrast to this. And it kind of goes back to cybersecurity 15, 20 years ago as well. You know, if you went to the banks, they were probably a little bit ahead of the curve where everybody else was still a little bit behind. IoT is not that much different. If you go to some of the automotive manufacturers, they're, they're pretty good because they've realized if someone breaks into our car and it's doing a 
70 miles an hour down the motorway and uh, they managed to get into the brakes or whatever it might be. We've got a massive issue there and our reputation will be damaged forever. We'll never sell those cars. So they've had the impetus to go out there and, and trying to make it more mature. But across the board, there's still a huge amount of immaturity there. And one of the, you know, there's a couple of things that I saw over my time, you know, things like the implementation of policies um, are really difficult to do on devices at a device level when you get down to an embedded system. So you might have particular ways that you govern security at the enterprise level. If you go down to a device and say, well, is it actually happening here? It often isn't. And that in itself is a problem. Even things like patch management, looking for vulnerabilities, it doesn't happen as well at an IoT device level as it would from an enterprise level. Um, equally alongside that, and you guys have you know, probably seen this, and, and Andrew talked a bit about the kind of the past of IoT, regulations come into play, which drastically change the way people um, approach security. Um, there's a big regulation in the automotive industry right now called WP29, and there's a standard called ISO 21434. These have drastically changed the way that automotive manufacturers can put security into vehicles. So, again, you see this level of maturity and this shift, but it does take things like regulations to do that. Equally, we saw that with the GDPR from an enterprise level as well. Um, and a couple of other things, you know, often engineers are asked to go and do security. They were never security people. They're building products, they're building devices, they're building whatever it is. And now they're also being told you've got to go and abide by these regulations. That's not the easiest thing for them to suddenly do, especially if they're under pressure to hit milestones and get things out in a time. Um, security gets kind of pushed to the, to the background, which is in itself a, a bit of an issue as well. Oh, it's, it's a traditional issue, isn't it? It's tradition that security kind of comes later, especially when it's legislative, because legislation can can never keep pace with the with the way yeah. the technology is, is is going. Never has, and uh, trying to retrofit security is a is a is a difficult problem. But we'll come back to that in a, in a second, if you don't mind, because I'm I'm particularly interested in um, how um, people in their ordinary lives, their the home lives or their working lives. Um, how this IoT is actually affecting them, whether they realise the extent of, of the amount of IoT that they have within the house. So, Andrew, I mean, you touched on it. Yeah. Do, you, do you have many devices in your house? Do you think that would... Well, it, a... it's, it's very simple. I mean, the differentiation is probably consumer devices built millions cheaply, so security is an afterthought because if you have to do a lot of investment in securing and for patching, then it's going to cost more. So they want to have something, a, di a disposable uh, kind of device now. So... Um, for the consumers, uh, yes, it's different from if you're in industry where you want something that's robust, so you're willing to pay a little bit more. But an example is uh, wireless routers. Now, you know, wireless access points for broadband. Uh, you know, everyone knows that can jump on neighbor's Wi-Fi. Traditionally, they had a default password and default admin admin and those kind of things. And people just plugged them in in ignorance because they weren't educated on how dangerous these things could be and people snooping on their networks and drive by someone sitting outside in a car and jumping on your home network. But I've got, uh, I've got Hive. There's other ones like Google for managing your heating and you've got your doorbells, everything, uh, dimming lights. Uh, there was a speaker once, uh, he said he went round his neighbours, uh, he hacked into their lighting system, so the dimming thing on a night, he would dim the light and the guy would go to his wall, try and switch it, and then when he got high and he dimmed it down again, then he turned his kettle on because he had a smart a smart kettle on, and the guy didn't know why his kettle kept going off as well. You know, so you can have fun games uh, with it, and you don't know until something bad happens. If, if that's uh, your your idea of fun, yeah, but don't try this at home, kids. But uh, my wife was uh, looking for a new parasol today, and uh, you know, for the it's the sun's out, so we thought we'll get the, the garden sorted. 
And there was one with Bluetooth. And I think, what the hell? You'd need Bluetooth and a parasol for. But there you go. It just shows the extent of these devices. And, uh, and on that point, Phil, I mean, you you look at Peloton. It's it's a it's a bike, and they have a web camera attached to them. You would never have thought that ten years ago. But people now want to jump in and be part of these classes. Now want to be able to see me and everybody else I'm working with. Um, but there's a, there's a camera in there. In, in to Andrew's point, you know, people can break into that. I think Peloton have suffered a breach in the past. I don't think it was quite to the level of looking through the camera. But everything now is getting as you know, so many different sensors in there. It doesn't matter what it is, there will be some way that there's a sensor bolted on now and made smart, which is, in some respects, terrifying. And, and to your point earlier, I don't think people quite understand that they buy whatever it might be because it's more convenient without thinking about well, what are the the risk implications of me doing this? Well, that sounds like a great place to have a break, and uh, so let's come back and uh, in, a, in a couple of minutes. Thanks. You're listening to It's Cyberup North with Phil Jackman and Andrew Pounder with this week's guest, Ian Todd from SalesLink. If you like this show, remember to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any future episodes. Hello and welcome back to It's Cyberup North with me, Phil Jackman and Andrew Pounder from CyberNorth. And today we're joined with Ian Todd, Chief Executive Officer and Co-Founder of SalesLink. So we've just before the break, we're really talking about IoT paranoia, and um, that we're all kind of looking around, thinking, "What the hell t- devices talking to every other device and all that kind of thing?" But it really seems as if it's becoming a ubiquitous uh, movement. So, where where should we be worried about in terms of security, uh, Ian? Where do you think the concerns and vulnerabilities really lie? Well, I mean, there's there's so many, isn't there? Um, and, and like we've talked about, I think so far there is. Um, there's kind of an awareness, I guess, if, if that's right, of, across the board. People don't really uh, realize what they're actually inheriting when they add these different devices to the network or to their homes or to the business. And, and that's the problem with a lot of this. And I think we touched on it, but people will like convenience and that comes at a cost and the cost is often privacy or um, or security. So I think from a from a general populace, it's about saying, look, guys, you, you have to be aware of what this is doing and, and what this potentially means in terms of risks. And then from a from a corporate level, from an enterprise level, it's about getting the uh, you know kind of the non-sexy things, if you like, right. Have you got the policies in place, the procedures? Do you have the right understanding and awareness that, ac- across your business to make sure that people are doing the right things and are kind of spotting where there could be security risks? One of the big issues, and I'm, I'm sure you gents have seen this with IoT devices, is they're often built on the back of things that were never meant to be IoT devices. And what I mean by this is you look at the health sector, there's a whole bunch of things there that were never really intended to be smart, if you, if you like. You know, they were never meant to actually connect to a network. And that's a really big problem fundamentally because it means it's very difficult to run any kind of software on there because it'll just fall over. It's very difficult to put things like access management over there because people often just need to get on that device or there just isn't the capability of doing that. And they're really old, clunky bits of technology um, that you really can't keep up to date and, and you can't look after. So there's, you know, we could speak for probably three hours about the different problems. It's, it's, it, there's, there's lots out there. People are doing the right things and there's definitely a movement to do that. But we're still certainly a long way off the, the IoT world being secure. But these problems don't sound to me to be any different than ordinary traditional, if you can be traditional in this market devices, you know, it's, it's about patch management, it's about being aware of what the vulnerabilities you've got. So, Andrew, do you think there are any differences primarily other than the, the ones that well, you've Well, it, it's, it's known where the insecurity is, where the vulnerabilities are. If you can identify the vulnerability, you can act upon it. Uh, so if you know there's something that's legacy that can't be patched, 
uh, has known vulnerabilities like CV scores, which are really high, and you know you can do nothing about it. So built-in Windows devices where uh, in a past life uh, I was on a, a big network. I used to scan that, and I found there was a heating center sensor for a swimming pool. And I had to go to the networking team, look at all the routers and switches to, to try and track down which location this sensor was because I could get onto a command prompt with a telnet. Uh, I broke in via FTP first, and then it had telnet and FTP ports open, which are legacy and unsecure. And I could have turned the heating of the pool up and down as I wanted, experimenting. So what we did, we found that and put a firewall in front of it, uh, a software firewall first, and, and then for whole network segments, if it's vulnerable, firewall it, and then have access management uh, access lists if you know who needs to have access to it and try your best to do it that way. For consumer products, it's a bit more difficult. So uh, I would suggest if you're going to buy something, don't do it just on price. Research, has, have there been breaches by this product in the past? Does it update? Can you get onto it via a secure web? Because every, everything seems to be available via a website now. So you go on via an IP address and you can update things. Is that secure? Is it HTTPS? Can other people just go straight on, on the web front end and do updates from the internet? So there'll, there'll be a whole load of bullet points that you could go through if you want to do your own due diligence to, to feel safe with the device that you buy. Or you could just buy the first shiny one you come up at against with the best prices, <laughs> which seems to be what, what most of us end up doing. Yeah, so it is it is quite ring. And it, it's made me think about this kind of relationship between IT and OT. Um, so, you know, I suppose as more OT systems are opened up to to uh, the network, as it were, the Internet, then that's going to bring in a, a huge number of potential IoT devices. Um, yeah. It's a bit worrying, yeah. It is, Phil. I mean, that's exactly the problem, isn't it? Now, and we, we talked about this at the very start of the conversation about kind of what is the IoT world? What, what do we mean by IoT? And to your point, we just keep turning things on and we keep adding sensors and connectivity to different devices that were never intended to be that. It does add a huge amount more risk and that risk or that attack surface is just consistently growing. It's really, really difficult to, to manage. Yeah, and probably even unaware of the amount of extent it's growing. You're probably buying devices that are, are potentially connected without even knowing about it now. And uh, yeah. yes, that's a, that's a bit of a challenge. So how easy are these things to patch, to apply policies to and that kind of thing? You know, how would you do it if, you, if you're not even aware of it? it, it, it again, you know, I think Andrew touched on this. It, it, again, a contrast depending on, on what you're looking at. Some of them you just can't. It, it, and it's, it's fundamental, that's the problem. Some of these old legacy um, devices that have been switched onto a network, you can't do much with them. They just, you, you can't, but they still have massive risks there. Um, you know, some of the, the newer devices, yeah, certainly there is security in there. There are policies being pushed down. There's a big push right now for something called an S-bomb, which is a, a software bill of material. Um, uh, you know, some of the listeners may have heard of this or try to build one. It's essentially, if you like, for what they're trying to push is all IoT devices with embedded systems will have this kind of an ingredient list attached to it. So if you imagine you buy a sandwich from M&S and it's got an ingredient list on there, um, it'll tell you what the sugar content is, the, the salt and, and kind of the general ingredients. They're hoping to do something similar for software. So when you have an IoT device, you can see what's in there and then you can start to, um, in a more pragmatic way, you know, manage the, the CVEs and potential vulnerabilities that are in there over time. But you know, again, as we've talked about, it's it's not simple. But there's certainly lessons to be learned, I think, Phil, from enterprise cybersecurity because they are still, um, they're still a fundamental 
um, I, I, connection there. What what happened in enterprise cybersecurity still applies to devices. Yeah, so that the the same same sort of issues to resolve, but uh, on a much 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 bigger scale now. I suppose they're much more difficult to to manage. So, can you firewall these things off, Andrew? Can you can you put physical well, or, or well, software security in between? If you're in an enterprise environment, then you can start monitoring for unusual activity. So with enterprises that have seen, so if you've got something that's mission critical or I say dangerous if it's turned off, uh, same sensors for schools and things for heating for schools, someone just has to hack into one of those and the, the, the school's closed for the whole day, you know, just, just for wanting to have a bit of fun. So you look for that kind of unusual activity as, as a hacker, have they identified it on the network and are they trying to breach it? You know, are they trying to scan it on different security ports to see if there's vulnerability ports like FTP or Telnet or other ports? Uh, consumer, it, it's a bit, diff bit difficult to do. I mean, a lot of the, the firewalls that come for the broadband connectivity, they do have some of these uh, already sort of enabled, but and you've got to go into the, the settings to disable them to make them wide open for people on the internet to, to see as well. But it, it is a bit different between consumer and, and the industry and like the enterprise worlds on, I say, you get what you pay for. But I would suggest that you would check to see what personal information is potentially vulnerable and whether you want to take the risks or whether you were a wearable thing for jogging. And with the GDPR, you only need two piece of identifiable piece of information. So if people know that you've got a heart problem, things like that, can they identify you from that data if they hack it? Uh, or, or is there any other way, like vulnerable people, like for safeguarding them, that uh, you know, they're more exposed by using these devices unaware? Yeah, I think I've mentioned this before, but you know, you've got concept of uh, six degrees of separation. You, everybody's connected by six degrees. I'm convinced that if you had six pieces of information, you'd be able to identify anybody in the world from that. It's a kind of reverse way around. So it sounds to me, though, particularly if you're in the um, in the uh, in the consumer space, if you don't need to be smart, just buy a thick device. Yeah, just buy something that has no risk at all. Because um, if you can if you can see something across a network. Then somebody else has that potential to see that thing, and you just need to think where that that risk is. So, what about the um, enterprise market, though, Ian? What what sh what advice would you give for people to to be thinking about their own their security now? Yeah, I mean, again, from an enterprise level, it's it's about getting the fundamentals right. And um, for like we talked about before, the policies, the procedures, the, the kind of the bits that drive behaviour. And, and as Andrew talked about with the GDPR, we saw a little bit of that. You know, the regulations forced enterprises to to think about how they protect data. It's not too much dissimilar with IoT devices. Um, you know, we, we should have those minimum expectations built there. As I mentioned, things like the SBOM, building out an SBOM is really important for some of your IoT devices where you can apply tools and technologies. Um, that's always going to be helpful, themes and um, endpoint detection. A, a big area that I think people don't think about so much in cybersecurity, but we are starting to move to it, is, is how we respond and what's our resiliency. Because you know, traditionally in cyber, it was how big can we build the castle walls to keep the bad guys out? And we learned, well, they can always build a bigger ladder. It just doesn't work. So what we need to think about is what happens when they get inside the castle. And, and that's kind of what we're doing now to say, well, it's inevitable pretty much that you will have some kind of a security incident or a breach. How do you respond as quickly and, and as appropriately as possible to that to mitigate the, the, the issues that could come from that? So there are ways of doing it. I think the biggest challenge that all enterprise 
um, uh, IoT devices and, and kind of companies have is that it's always going to be a balance between do we spend more on security or more on getting the product out and generating revenue and generating revenue always it, it takes the, the, the first place. So it's, it's on us as consumers to say, look, we expect more from companies. If you're building IoT devices, whether that be for fitness or uh, a child's toy, there should be a, a minimum level of security in there that we're all comfortable with. Yeah, and, and yeah, also, absolutely. we've got something coming down the line as well, how to dispose of securely. So do the devices have them built in in EPROMs so they've got the old owner's information given away to charity shops unwittingly with, with private information and banking details and things like that. So, yeah. again, you've got to dispose of this information somehow securely. Uh, and, again, if you're a consumer, you just either throw it in the wee bin and, uh, for the recycling or you give it to a charity shop or you give it to a relative and, and someone might just uh, exploit that. It's a, it's a really good point, Andrew, and something just on, on that kind of naivety, I guess, Phil, we talked about before. If anyone's jumped into a rental car recently and turned on the sat-nav, you can see the person before you, where they've been, where they live, where they've, what hotel they've stayed at. You can see their entire journey half the time. People just aren't aware that there has to be some disposal, like you say, at the end of your use of, of your data to, to make sure somebody else isn't picking that up and using it. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that, that's fascinating. So, uh, my suspicion, though, Ian, is that uh, for most big companies, the first place they've got to start is to identify where these IoT devices are. I suspect that they've got many, many thousands more than they really are aware of and uh, don't understand their estate. Exactly. There is that. And there's also the, um, you know, as we evolve software to, to make things become an IoT device, there's also the implications of that. And just a, a really quick example of what I mean, um, there's a a company that were building um, essentially a, a new way of securing mobile phones. And their argument was that once we have quantum computing, as we've all heard, passwords will become redundant and, and you know, it, won't be the, it won't be as valuable to us. So what they wanted to do was build software that would do things when you had your mobile phone, it would measure you know, Andrew's pace of walking, how long his arm is, how he would traditionally scroll through a phone. And within half a second of Andrew picking up his mobile, it would know it was him. So even if it was unlocked, it would, you know, and you pick it up, Phil, it would say, well, hang on, this is a different movement. It isn't him. We're going to shut down the phone. Now, an interesting problem from this was, to your kind of point earlier about six degrees, Phil, they could also realize that it was so accurate, they could pick up things like early Parkinson's. So they could look for tremors in the software, and that suddenly becomes a sensitive medical piece of data. So the reason I say this is there's so much going on in this world that a, a real difficult conversation has to be had and sit down and say, right, what are we doing here when we build these devices and software? Yeah, and a difficult conversation when you've got to create revenues, don't you? I suppose it's, as you've said, it's uh, revenues yeah. are going to drive. So uh, uh, what's really fascinated me about this conversation has been, I think, that kind of hidden threat. It's a kind of a threat that's crept up on us and actually overtaken us now and perhaps not even aware of it. So I think it's a good point to uh, draw this to a close. So, Andrew, piece of advice for people out there but who are willingly or unwittingly IOT'd? Just do your research uh, and see if the product is reputable, whether you can patch it, uh, whether you know, there's a support mechanism so you can contact them if you're worried about your data and things like that, especially if it's going via a smartphone as a hub. Uh, and that's it. it is just beware of anything you buy from overseas as well that you, that you don't know. So buying things from China or on Far East or something, and you don't know the reputation of the chips. Have they got other chips in there that, that are monitoring things that you're unaware of, that it's not advertising as part of its 
um, products, but it's there anyway, and eavesdropping maybe at state level. Excellent, thanks. And of course, your advice on disposing of them properly. And Ian, any mm. advice? Yeah, no, I think just to kind of echo what's been said, you know, it's, it's about thinking about what you're buying. And I think especially for um, parents now, it's about, you know, what, what are you buying your kids? You know, we were talking about babies' toys, toddlers' toys that have sensors in there and, and they've been breached and they've got, you know, cameras and, and microphones within um, children's toys. So it's about stepping back. And look, let's let's be honest. It's, it, it, let's not cause panic. And let's not drive this through fear. It's about a balance. But it's also about saying, yeah, we, we need to be more careful with what we're buying and what our expectations are of companies that are selling these these different products to us. Okay. And Ian, where do people go for more information and advice and, and these sort of things? I, I, I think Cybellum's are great. I, you know, I'll give them a bit of a plug. Um, they're they're a, a binary scanning company that were based in Israel and um, they, they've kind of built out over the last five, 10 years. They're, they're real thought leaders um, around um, IoT devices and embedded systems um, that they're worth a look. And, and the guys that run that company are super smart, super nice guys. And um, they're always happy to answer questions and things on LinkedIn. So they're, they're worth a little look. Okay. And of course, your uh, local neighborly friendly uh, cybersecurity vendor would also uh, be willing to help, no, no doubt. Um, so that's really good. And something I'm just about to drop on you, and uh, Ian, I haven't spoken to you about this, but it'd be great, I think, to have an IoT-based uh, event as part of CyberFest this year in September. Uh, so uh, if you're available, uh, we'll, we'll book you for that. Absolutely. So let's just bring this to a close. Look, thanks very much. That's been a really fascinating uh, conversation. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Ian. Uh, good luck with the product launch. And uh, as always, thanks, Robert. In the background, you've been listening to It's Cyber Up North. Don't forget to subscribe. Mm -hmm.